Uh, so next we're going to get into our first panel. Uh, it's called Staying in the Struggle. It's a really good day to talk about staying in the struggle. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jessica. Good evening, Sophia. Hi. <laughs> Shilpa will be joining us as well. <coughs> Take a moment to pause as we wait for Shilpa. There we go. Hi, Shilpa. Hi, everyone. Mm. So thank you for being together to explore this idea of staying with the struggle. Today is a good day for staying with the struggle. And there's a beautiful quote um, by Maria May. Kuba, let this radicalize you rather than lead you to despair. And so radical gatherings, the perfect place to be. And I invited you, Shilpa and Sufia, because uh, my heart, you know, reached out and and you and you took the invitation and I'm so appreciating your presence here. And Shilpa, I've really, I'm really excited about the work that you're up to. I have so much admiration for all the work that you do. One of my best friend's daughters went to one of the YES camps. And I remember she came back really radicalized. And I was like, oh, I love this organization already. And I went to Brotherhood Sisterhood back in the early 90s. And so it really changed the trajectory of the way that I navigated the world um, with a social justice perspective. And so honored to have you here representing the beautiful work that you're up to, uh, working with change makers all over the world. And Sophia, <laughs> your perspective is really uh, mind-blowing. Uh, I, I, I sit with a lot of wordlessness, uh, your, your animist and your unschooling uh, perspectives on education and the way you navigate is like a gentle power of slowing down. And, and it's also um, reminiscent of, of the way that, you know, I hope to be in relationship with the earth. And even though I've never read your multiple books in Portuguese, <laughs> I've been had the pleasure to be in inquiry with you around a lot of different social justice issues. And so uh, inviting you both to bring your international perspectives, your personal perspectives, and, um, and the youth that are in your life uh, and in community. So the question that we're opening up with is how can we invite folks to listen in new ways and what are ways in your work have you been able to stay with the struggle and and have breakthroughs and continue to nourish yourself and still move forward especially given today what's happened with the supreme court in the united states so I invite you, Shilpa, to just introduce yourself and share a little bit about yourself. Thanks so much, Annabelle, and 
Really good to be with you all. Um, I'm familiar with uh, these organizations that are putting on this radical gathering, and so it feels like a real honor to to be here and uh, communicate with you and share with you and hopefully grow, learn, unlearn, um, and uplearn with you all in the course of this next hour or so that we're together. Um, yeah, today has been a rough day. I woke up with a lot of uh, all the feelings, you know, and really feeling all the feelings, the anger and the shock and the rage and the pain, um, and the grief and the fear and the worry, like all of those feelings moving through my body. Um, and then just thinking about all of um, the people I've known and all the people who will be there who are also going to be needing support and care um, in these moments ahead. And so feeling the past and the future kind of all coalescing today in this moment. And for me, I think staying in the struggle is part of that. It's like allowing myself the spaciousness to feel all the feelings and then getting to turn to community for support. And I was really grateful because in my house right now, I have like five people staying in my house at this moment. Um, I'm calling to you all from Berkland, the Berkeley-Oakland border, um, Ohlone land in California. And um, I just got to turn towards people and say, like, let's just slow down and feel what we're feeling and hear each other. And, and I, I think for me, part of staying in the struggle has really been this emphasis on community. And I don't really know how to be in these times without having a robust community that I'm both co-building and co-weaving and co-creating and also allowing myself to rest in and receive from. And so really practicing that beautiful flow, that beautiful reciprocity. Um, and that's really a lot of my background. So I'll just introduce myself by way of saying, um, I grew up in Chicago in, in the suburbs of the, of the city um, as an immigrant kid. My parents are both from India and I had this tremendous blessing of growing up in a neighborhood of immigrant kids and immigrant people. Um, and they, my neighbors were from all over the world, from Taiwan and Thailand and uh, Korea and Philipp the Philippines and India and Pakistan and everywhere. And so I grew up kind of with baked into my body, this sense of bridge building and relationship building across differences. Um, and also being a kid who grew up with, you know, my own family and having to build community. My parents were my first teachers of community building um, because as immigrants, that's what they sought out. Like, who are the people that we can connect to that speak our language and that can like keep our food and our culture and our traditions alive in this in this country? And so um, I had that beautiful experience also of getting to connect with a community across, um, across the Chicagoland area and as well as in my own neighborhood. And so I think from the get-go, the sense that like we are wiser together, we need each other, Community is part of my birthright, it's part of our birthright, that's part of what it is to be alive and to be human, um, was really baked into me. And it wasn't until much, much later in life, I want to, embarrassingly, embarrassingly, I want to say like 10 years ago, five years ago, that I realized like, that's not how everybody grows up, what? Like, that isn't the normal thing for people. Um, and yeah, it, it's so, so I, it was just so much part of my, my being. Um, and that, that trajectory I think of having that support and that sense of interdependence really pushed me into my own life to 
build and, and build bridges and build connections um, in my environmental work and passion, human rights, feminism, through the different phases of my own growth, different learnings and understandings, um, and challenging international development and education systems. That took me to India in my 20s, working on a people's movement on radically rethinking education and development called Shikshantar, um, that really was promoting a lot of these possibilities of like learning communities and how do we tap into our indigenous wisdoms, our local cultures, our local labor, our arts, and like really find the solutions to everything we need um, there. So that was a huge part of my work. And then um, in the early 2000s, I met Yes. Um, and Yes is uh, now a 32-year-old nonprofit. And our core programming is really around jams and the spirit that we are all co-creators and co-learners and that we jam together. So like a musician's jam, there's no preset agenda. We're here to really deeply listen to each other. And through the listening, through the discovery, we find ourselves moving in personal, interpersonal and systemic transformation, that there's a truth that all of these layers and fields of transformation internally, how I'm feeling, where I am, my passions, my gifts, my burnout, my breakdown is intimately connected to my relationships and how they are, how we communicate, how we relate, especially across divides of race, class, gender, nationality, sexuality, religion, and how do we build these authentic relationships? How do we work through conflicts in meaningful ways? And then systemically having a vision of the world that we want to see and connecting and co you know connecting the dots of our visions and not having to be one way and this is the way and this is you know but really trying to open up the multiple truths the multiple perspectives and weaving them together and that's jamming and so i've been really dedicated to that for 20 years 11 years as ed of the organization but listening is at the fundamental heart of it listening to my inner truth listening to each other and recognizing again and again, like we're wiser together. There's something here for me to unlearn. There's something for here for me to uplearn. And um, there's so much more possibility when I'm tuned into that. So I think that'll be my introduction for now. And I'm really excited to get into the conversation um, more with you all. Um, yeah, and I'll pass that to Sophia. Thank you. Thank you, Shilpa. Thank you, Inabel. I'm really honored to be here. I'm in Portugal, which is, of course, a very um, paradoxical place to be <laughs> at this point in time. We have this whole legacy of imperialism, colonialism, uh, which started ecocide, genocide. Well, we all know that story, of course. Um, but it is a paradoxical uh, place to be because we have so much poverty here. So it's like, yeah, we're in Europe, but it's kind of a, a strange place to be in Europe. But anyway, um, yeah, I was, I was listening to, uh, to Shilpa and she's very inspiring. And I was thinking about my own work and my own um, perspective here. I, I work here with people like me, white women. And what I try to bring them is other perspectives of environmental justice, social justice, and all of that. And one of the traumas I keep encountering, it's the trauma of hyper-individualism, is this, you know, this idea, this, this meta-narrative 
that you need to succeed alone. You are better alone. You need to do things alone. And this meta narrative is all over the place in every education system, family, corporation, well, at most levels of society. I, I believe in the Western world, but I can only speak you know, in the realm that I really know. And here, for sure, hyper-individualism is a very um, pervasive thing, which avoids listening, <laughs> which avoids deeply relating, which exiles intimacy. And so when we start to bring systemic ideas metaphors, when we start to bring uh, a dozen other layers of, of, of living together in community, and, and you know, in, in, in these very binary ideas that we have here, it's like, oh, if we are living in community, we need to agree on everything. And so, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> So I've been working uh, with the land, uh, mostly with women um, and with, with uh, complex and systemic change for, yeah, for roughly 15 years now. Um, and I, I do, you know, my children, they, 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 they taught me a lot because I have learned what learning means through them. And this may seem that it doesn't have anything to do with what we are talking about here, but it has a lot to do. Because when we are in a, in a very organic and uh, out of the system learning environment, learning happens. It, it just, it, it is bound to happen. It, it's, it doesn't have, you know, a schedule. It doesn't have the day. It doesn't have the goal learning just happens and learning is also unlearning so it's it's this very uh, alive thing that happens to all of us in all all our uh, lives all the time and this is a beautiful thing because when we are in the system the way i was taught to learn was that it was a linear thing so you search for something, well, or you need to learn something because of a test or whatever, and you just go there and you go there and then, oh, you learn, but then you forget it because it was not you who were searching for that. It was not your body who was involved in everything. So one of the things my children, they, they taught me was like, we spoke about something, you know, we talk about a lot here of geopolitics and stuff <laughs> they're 12 and 9 but you know um so and so they make me questions and we talk about it and then it seems like oh nothing's happening and i'm like mm. you know in my early days i was like oh so worried what is happening nothing's happening and this is like you know that moment if you're not listening carefully, you really think that nothing's happening. And then three months later, they come at me like, oh, but mom, because blah, 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 blah. And they and you get that. So engaging 
engaging in listening uh, and, and learning really organically is, is a very poetic but radical thing. It's, it's, it's both actually. Well, for me, poetic is revolution itself. So, you know, <laughs> maybe I'll pass it to Annabelle. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sophia. <laughs> So just a little bit about me. I'm Inabel, um, I'm Filipinx Chinese, and I'm 47. I'm living in Hukiland, a West West land, as I mentioned, and um, the federally unrecognized Amamitsen are the current stewards because there are no known living descendants of this particular region. So hopefully uh, they'll make themselves known, but it's understandable um, given the genocide. Um, so I am going to put in the chat the land trust. I invite folks to contribute to the land trust. Um, and I'm still learning to be in relationship with the land here as not an object or a commodity and, and as a living being. And, and also, I just wanted to acknowledge the, um, the harm that's been done to the, the earth and, and that, that is required of us to be in community today, to be in relationship with each other, the technologies that um, are expensive, both um, human human lives and and up for the of the land. So, just wanted to name that before we move much forward. Um, so, I live near redwood trees and oaks and madrones, and um, and that's been really precious. And and yet, I've survived two fire evacuations. And so that was no joke. Um, and just given the, the moment that we're in, I wanted to name a little bit, um, share a little uh, more vulnerable information about myself and, and how I'm navigating the news from this morning. Um, before I became an abolitionist, I was married to a police officer who assaulted me. And so the way that the state presents itself is really personal for me. And having had two miscarriages, uh, that required me to receive uh, DNCs, dilate and cutterage, really is, is a visceral truth for me, um, knowing that the, a DNC is the exact same procedure as an abortion. And so I just wanted to bring that into the room because uh, um, it's not just about abortion, it's about access, right? And so um, coming to you with, with like a lot of um, feelings from today and also just also the second procedure that I received, um, I also was assaulted by the medical professional. And so there's all these layers to what happened this morning that really um, are salient for me in this moment. 
and then having, and I mention these things because I think we often come to social justice work because of these pains and these passions and our care for each other and, and those that are to experience the similar um, challenges. And, and then have, being a step parent too, and volunteering at the schools and like navigating like what's this world going to be like really lends my ears to listen in a different way like i'm listening intergenerationally i'm not just listening for my own body i'm listening for my kids bodies um and one of the ways of resilience that I've been able to claim through my body is that somehow I knew to study um, as a healing artist, visceral organ work and reproductive health. And not until seven or eight years later did I find out that my grandmother was a Hilot practitioner, which is the body worker. And my and her sister was a, a midwife. So the body knows, like my body knew to seek out. So I'm inviting this idea of also like listening to our curiosities, our passions, our interests, because my ancestry spoke through my body and led me to those things. So um, inviting that type of listening and even my forgiveness where it comes from my ancestry. And so I've been really obsessed with ancestral work because forgiveness work and, and listening to our bodies is another way of navigating um, all this um, chaos that we keep getting presented with because <laughs> life is gonna keep happening. And so in, in navigating the, the cross-racial solidarity work that I do, really just trying to normalize ancestral listening and communication is where it's at for me. And even normalizing um, forgiveness, because if we can release our resentment, then we're more present to the movement. And I really believe in that too. So that's a little bit about me. And so we wanted to open it up for folks to ask us questions in the chat. And um, yeah, you know, maybe I'll just pass it back to you, Shilpa, if there's anything you're sitting with in this moment, or we'll just open it up to whoever wants to. Sophia, you can chime in. Yeah, I, I think one of the ideas we had is that we could receive questions from folks, but we also would have some dialogue together and um, maybe ask each other some questions too. So there could be, yeah, this richness of, of um, collaboration. I think a lot about collaboration and co-liberation that um, in, in sharing and learning and seeking together and being seekers together, um, there's something really powerful that can get liberated internally and, and interpersonally and systemically. Um, and so just your last point here, Annabelle, and I was just thinking else about what you were sharing, Sophia, around learning and the, the kind of magic and the mystery of learning. And I guess I would just invite either of you or both of you to maybe if you would want to share more about, you know, how does forgiveness show up in the struggle? And 
how do you see um, this sort of leaving space for the learning to happen at its own pace and its own way um, also be part of, of our struggle, our collective struggles uh, together? Um, I could share my thoughts, but I'd love to hear you both too. And, and then we can just circle around to you know, bring some questions in. I can bring some ideas on that. Um, I want I want to share a, a, a very short story that happened to me, I think two years ago or something. I was having this uh, meeting with eco-psychologists here in Portugal, and we were speaking about ways to uh, engage uh, activists and ways how these um, not only eco-anxiety, but people who deal with very difficult reports. I just, I just want to address one thing. Here in Portugal, social things are not connected to the environment. We are very away from that here. So that was one of the things I was bringing in to the, to the meeting. And one of the things I, we, we were try, I was trying to address with that, you know, build bridging and, and connecting the dots. And um, people in the front, whatever front, are exhausted, are tired, are it, 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 because it's a long haul. It's, it's not a short marathon. It, it's, it's years of running consistently. So we need to find ways to stop and to regenerate. And, and, and yeah, I, I was bringing this idea of the mystery. How can we engage the mystery? The mystery of, you know, Tim Morton, who is an English philosopher, he speaks of this idea that is the hyper objects. And he calls the global problems, catastrophes, tragedies that we are dealing today, systemically, of course, structurally, but systemically, he calls them hyper objects because they are too big for us to tackle. They are too big for us to you know, feel that we are actually doing something in the long haul. And that, I'm not saying this, oh, let's give up. No, 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 no. I'm also a revolution, so I'm not, I'm not there yet. Maybe I will be someday, I don't know. But, you know, I was bringing them that we need other type of languages. We need other type of narratives. We need other type of dialogue so that we can embrace each other and deal with this um, together. <laughs> so I was bringing, yeah, but how about mystery? How about working, you know, with that, that we will never know? And, you know, the answer was super clear for me. It was, oh, don't bring hocus pocus here, please. <laughs> I have to laugh because otherwise, you know, my marathon won't go anywhere. <laughs> but, but yeah, so we have to deal with reality, the harsh reality of things and keep listening. But also we need to engage in other levels of language, in, 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 in other membranes, because otherwise we just get completely 
depleted. Um, that's at least one of the things I, I, I sense. I'm, I've, I've been engaging in, in social struggles uh, in, in, in you know, anarchist movements since I was 20 years old, and that was a long time ago. So I've, I've changed to environment struggles. So I've been kind of trying to do something, but the system is really huge, like hyper objects. <laughs> so, um, so that's why we need each other so much more. That's why we need that. We need this, and we need, um, yeah, not just not just head listening, but heart listening feet listening hand listening so we need all of that <laughs> thanks so much sophia for all of that yeah for, for me it's i'll extend the listening right it's like it's not just all the senses it's it's also like other beings and you know like yeah being in communication with the land what does the land want to do <laughs> like really being in relationship and communicating and yeah that's why i'm obsessed with ancestral work and i i feel um i feel resilience in that work because it's it's I don't like to call it decolonial, but it's it's like a way of approaching decolonial work within myself so that I'm not listening to the single narrative of, of modernity and just like doing what I'm supposed to do <laughs> because that hurts. You know, like I, I used to work in, in corporate life and it was really painful, really painful on the body. Yeah. And the forgiveness, as you were inquiring about Chopet's, for me, it's, it's really one of the big answers. It's really about like, we're, we're, when we get stuck and discouraged in our work, it's because of something being lodged inside of us. And it's like we're allowing um, the systems to, to occupy our bodies. And so the forgiveness is a way of dislodging the occupation in our bodies. And so we got to start there and then, you know, and share that liberation with each other. And then, and then we have the spaciousness and the, and the joy and the rest and the play that is the resistance, right? It's the, that's, it's, it's not about just, it's the res getting rid of the resentment is about getting rid of hate, but it's about taking back the power into our own bodies. And then we, when we're functioning from that place, we're creating new, new worlds and spaces for each other. And then we have the capacity to steal back the knowledge that was stolen. And then we have the capacity to show up for each other. Um, as one of my favorite people, Bio Okamolafe says in a, in a onto fugitive way, like we, we find each other in the cracks and we keep 
you know, we keep showing up for each other there, not not according to the the so-called laws of the state. Like I'm still gonna show up and try to help you get an abortion. <laughs> you know, regardless. <laughs> oh, what's going on according to the state? Now I'll bring it back to you, Shilpa, if there's anything you wanted to add before we invite folks to engage with each other. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you, Sophia. So beautiful to hear you. And I'm loving the comments that are coming in the chat and really sensing and feeling the relatedness and the mystery and the power of um, speaking from our hearts. And I really hear that in each of you and um, feel so grateful, you know, to be here. Um, and and what and I saw this question about like ways of listening. And so it also brought that forward for me in terms of some some tools that have been really important to me and I wanted to offer those to folks um, for the rest of this gathering and of course the rest of your lives wherever this takes you um, but just as an offering because when I think about what's really helped me is is like both deeper awareness internally and also sharing that awareness in community that it doesn't work if only I hold my own awareness um, because then I'm trying to like solve it for everybody else and it doesn't work. Everyone, at least in my faith tradition as a Jane, there's a very strong belief that each of us is responsible for our own liberation. And actually no one can take that from us and no one um, can be the arbiter, arbiter or the um, like stand at the guard, stand guard at our liberation. Like that's each of our responsibility. And yet it really helps if we have some shared language and some tools and some things that we can really guide us on our path together. So I just want to offer a couple things that might be helpful. Um, I'm going to share my screen because I have a few little graphics, uh, but just speaking to this realm of forgiveness and mystery of learning, um, I want to offer the zones of awareness and learning, um, the comfort zone, stretch zone, and panic zone. This might be familiar to folks, and if so, great, and if not, please um, enjoy. But what this helps me understand is like, yeah, I have a comfort zone. Those are the things I'm so familiar with the things that I know, the things that I've said over and over again, the story I've had over and over again, um, whatever it is, it's my comfortable place. It's my knowledge. It's my like, yeah, soft, easy place to be. I can be like this little cat in the hammock and chill there. The only thing about my comfort zone is I can't grow or learn there because I know everything there already. So if I want to learn, if I want to connect, if I want to relate, if I want to transform, I have to step into my stretch zone. Um, and as an invitation there, and I can stretch a little bit, or I could stretch a lot like this giraffe. Um, only I know that, but by definition, it's uncomfortable. It's not something I'm familiar with. It's the mystery. It's, it's the unknown, you know, and what, what defines my stretch zone is I can listen there. I can learn there. I can speak from my heart, from my eye, um, rather than, you know, generalizing or assuming things. I'm just really grounded in where I am and I'm willing to share it. It's uncomfortable and yet I can learn and I can grow because I can listen, I can take in um, input and understanding. And then the cool thing is my comfort zone grows because something that was once unfamiliar becomes now familiar. Um, and then there's my panic zone and it can look like this little chicken. It can look a little frantic. Um, it's really the simplest definition of panic zone for me is I stop listening. I'm no longer present. I'm in the past, I'm in the future. I'm um, fight, flight, freeze, appease. I'm like not present anymore. Um, and 
it can look all different kinds of ways, but my the easiest way I understand is I'm I'm not I'm not listening anymore. I'm not listening to myself and I'm not listening to others. And I can see this operating all the time in different systems that each one of us is a part of, right? And, and in myself internally, in my relationships and in my yeah, organizations and things. And so I will often inviting people to think about like, where are you right now? What zone are you in? You know, can I be in my comfort zone? Can I be in my stretch zone? Can I be in my panic zone? And when we meet each other in our stretch zone together, then there's this possibility of like growth and transformation and healing. Um, mostly though, unfortunately, I think in a lot of activism spaces, I know I find myself that like trying to ward off a lot of panic zone, you know, a lot of like attacking, um, self-attacking, attacking each other, attacking some other outside force. And <clears throat> that energy doesn't usually help us find, um, as you were saying, Sophia, like the, the energy to not be burned out, to not be fried, to not be, um, to really sustain in, in the struggle. Um, and so the other thing I wanted to offer just around the listening is just another way to look at listening and really thinking about that um, more deeply. I think hopefully this is coming up. It's listening without jiffing. Is that coming up? Okay, good. Um, judging, interpreting, and fixing. So someone asked, beyond slowing down, what else can I do to practice listening? And so for me, it's really important to start to notice, am I judging what I'm hearing? Like trying to make it right or wrong, good or bad? Could I transform that judgment into curiosity? Is that a possibility? And be more wondering what's going on there? Am I interpreting when I'm listening? Like making stories, trying to connect it to my experience and like therefore not really meeting that person, but just trying to, you know, getting into stories, getting into meeting making that may or may not be true. Again, can I slow down there? Maybe there's curiosity, things I want to learn more about. Maybe it's just allowing someone's experiences and perspectives to wash over me. Um, I don't need to absorb them or take them on or, you know, but I could just be with them. So being with or being withness as a witness and withness as a, as a different way to think about listening and then listening without fixing. So uh, fixing, I think all of us maybe know a little bit about here. Like I hear something that's challenging and I want to solve it right away and I want to change it. And the truth of the matter is I really can't. I really can't change or fix or solve something for somebody. But what I can do is be present with them. I can sit with them. I can listen to them as they find their ways forward and, and together and, you know, in those moments of connection and slowing down, um, that is really what allows someone like me to stay in the struggle. And I think it really helps other folks too, because, you know, the hardest thing I think is being alone in this work. And so being able to slow down and listen in a different way really enables me to stay in. And I know it really supports other folks too. So I'll just stop with that and maybe we can turn it over to other folks. Thank you, Shilpa. And I know you had a list of list ways of listening, Sufia, if you wanted to share that as well. Yeah, I just I just want to address what Teresa wrote uh, here <laughs> on the chat. Uh, she said, uh, relationship building in the radical transformation of society must be rooted in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, yeah, <laughs> and and it, yeah, listening and dialoguing is being part of the ecosystem. And ecosystems are only viable if they are complex. So they need complexity to be viable and to be one word that it's not very good right now, sustainable, but you know, <laughs> I, I still don't have 
<laughs> a better word for it. Um, I work with, with, with some um, ideas that can root us in our own listening, in our own engaging with the with what's happening outside of us. Because listening is not just for the words. Annabelle, you brought in the animistic side and even you know our own bodies, the way they move, so the tones, so everything is listening at this point. Um, and there are a couple of things that are, I think are really important to give us context and ground. So the first I will read so that I won't miss. We are always contextualized in a living and co-emerging complexity, each one of us. And this, these, this multitude of contexts, they are uh, unique to each other. They touch, of course, we are an open system and we are open systems engaging with other open systems, not just human, of course. Um, but context is super important because context gives us our language. It grounds us. Um, it's not good or bad. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's really privileged, but it's not good or bad in this judgment. It's, it's, it's context. And we need to be conscious of context, <laughs> of the multitude of contexts that we, we are. There are no absolute truths. And this, of course, in systemic um, approaches to things, it's a given. There is no control. Uh, there's stochastic. It's stochastic is this word I really love because stochastic means 99% hmm, chaos, 1% control. <laughs> but, you know, in the hyper-individualized idea of the world that the Western mind created, this is not true. And so people get, oh, we need to control. And sometimes it's, um, well, it's hard to do that because it never happens, actually. Um, we all have biases and blind spots. And it's a given. You know, we, we, we can all just uh, study a lot. Uh, we can talk to a lot of different people from all over the world and get a, a glimpse of other perspectives, other ideas. But, you know, we all have biases and blind spots. And it's not to get to that pure point where the, they don't exist, because they will always exist. And, and, and that's just a given. And it's so much more interesting if you start to be aware of them when you get frustrated, irritated, like, oh, I don't want to listen to this person anymore. So what's happening there? <laughs> um, our perspectives are always limited, of course. That's why tackling hyper objects is so difficult. Much of what we call identity is only cultural and contextual. And so this is, I'm tackling and bringing back what Inabel just brought in. We have a place. Like I usually say, we're not in outer space. <laughs> we could, but we're not. Well, we are, the earth itself uh, is, but the earth itself is, is it belongs to a cosmic ecological system, actually. So not even there. 
So, um, yeah, there are no final or definitive answers, no aesthetic or perfect final destination. So staying with the struggle is about this, is about being grounded in your own limitations and your own limitations are your own liberations for sure. And do the work that needs to be to get done. But for that, if you're just aiming for the objective or the final solution, you are missing everything. You are missing all the voices, all the ideas, all the diversity, all the other presences, and we don't need to do this alone. So, yeah. Thank you, Annabelle, for reminding. <laughs> Thank you, Sophia. Yes, and if you could drop those in the chat, I think nice for folks to see them visually as well and i wanted to address um jessica's question about children wondering if you could talk about some practices with children what are some ways parents can help little ones slow down find a good pace integrate some of these ideas <laughs> so with my kids it it just like it's like um they're still gonna like things Right <laughs> in the mainstream, like they're so. What I do is, is I actually take the opportunity to analyze whatever is happening in the world with them. I'll just be like, actually, this really impacts me because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a, a person with a uterus, and and that's what's happening right now. Or, uh, what do you think about? Um, if someone was trying to interfere with, you know, what you wanted to play with or what you wanted to do, you know, I try to integrate it in a way that um, relates to their reality and whatever it is that they care about. Like we talked about landlords <laughs> and housing justice because they play Animal Crossing. And so one of our jokes is boycott Nook. <laughs> Because the Animal Crossing um, characters are, are like real landlords and you're like working all day and then you give all your money back to them and, you, and then you're still in debt. It's, it's like a hot mess. But but now they understand like the, the ridiculousness of landlords because they use that, we use that game to show them. <laughs> and so... Um, as Loretta Ross says, um, fighting fascism should be fun. <laughs> and so if we're not able to, she calls it switching the toggle. So if you, if you can't toggle off from all the atrocities in the world, um, in fact, the very cop that assaulted me said, if you, if you were to think about everything that horrible happening in the world, you would never leave your house. And that's true. And, you know, we still need rest and play and, and joy. And so, um, yeah, just finding, finding the wisdom in the obvious, uh, is one of the ways I think that, um, Finding the, it's like a puzzle. I like to think of it as a puzzle with kids, you know, like how can I introduce this so that it's like the right, so that it's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for them. 
<laughs> and they'll eat it. <laughs> it's a little sneaky. How do I get the vegetables into the pasta sauce? <laughs> I grind them up <laughs> and hide them a little bit. And they're like, oh, and then my 10 year old said, um, there was a Asian cop that arrested a black woman for um, saying something racist to an Asian woman. He said to me, well, if that was a white person, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, it's working. <laughs> so yeah, so hope that answers a little bit, Jessica. <laughs> uh, so we wanted to take some time to give folks to connect with each other. And so we're gonna do some breakout rooms. And if you're feeling shy to be in a breakout room, just don't go. <laughs> but uh, we encourage you to go. And so Jason, is it faster if you do it or if I do it? I can do it. Okay, that'd be great. So I'm gonna do triads and yeah, connect with each other. What what does it take for you to stay with this struggle? If if you know of a way, if you don't know <laughs> I understand. And what nourishes you? And, and we can be in a little bit of community for a few minutes and we'll just take um, eight minutes, eight to 10 minutes for folks. And then we'll come back and, and um, see if anyone has any other questions for us. So let me know when you're ready, Jason. I'm ready. Okay, so see when we get back. All right, thanks everyone for being in community with each other. Um, okay. So were there any questions? We're just about wrapping up about, about five more minutes. If anyone has the final question for us. <laughs> yes, fighting fascism should be fun. Yes, that's from Loretta Ross. Let's make that our motto this weekend for sure. <laughs> I see a question there from Eugene. I see your hand up, Eugene. Is there something you want to come off mic and say? I'm not sure. Uh, organizing work where you helped people to have breakthroughs of understanding. Yeah, thanks Eugene. So the question's about where, where do we help people to have breakthroughs of understanding um, in this work? Um, somebody wanna kick it off? I'll share swiftly that um, I do anti-racist healing circles and it's really a space just, it's almost feels like, um, you know, like confessions of what is really in your mind around racism, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's really helpful to have breakthroughs when you hear what's actually going on in other people's minds in a, in a space that is non-judgmental, that 
that allows people to explore out loud. So I think really creating space where folks can um, share their truths. Thanks, Annabelle. Yeah, I'll just add to that by saying, um, I always think about this edge between breakdowns and breakthroughs, especially with conflict. And I think one of my big learnings in life has been that conflict is inevitable, conflict is natural, conflict is just the meeting point of differences. And it's like, what is happening in that moment where those differences are? And is, is that an opportunity to slow down, listen deeper, listen with curiosity and start to notice if I'm jiffing or what's happening, am I getting into my panic zone um, or are others? And then again, to add some breath and add some moment to, to slow down. And I think the breakthroughs that happen um, from those breakdowns, I mean, all kinds of things are possible. Like so many folks I know, like I never thought about that. I never saw that before. I didn't know I could see this possibility in myself that we could have this in our world, that we could have this with each other. Like all of that, because what I really feel at the heart of it is that every every person here that, I, that I've met who's interested in social change, environmental change, healing, transformation, they, they care about something, they care. And, and probably that's true for all of us. We care about you know, bringing our gift into the world, bringing our love into the world in different ways. And so the breakthrough is just around the corner. It's maybe just a breath away, just a moment to, to take that in and, and to see a little deeper and to just recognize like, yeah, each of us out, is out here doing our best. Even when we're in our panic zone, we're doing our best in that moment. And to bring that like love forward again and offer that, hey, we can just maybe slow down again together and, and see each other a little deeper, deeper and see ourselves a little deeper. So add that in. I just want to briefly add into this weaving about intimacy and about commitment. Um, deepening relations within community need both and responsibility, of course. <laughs> so without that, um, and, and I agree with you, but conflict is, conflict is inevitable. So it's not about exiling it like something bad, is working through it. So yeah, staying with the struggle has to do with that also, um, having the energy and the tools and um, the way through conflict so that intimacy can mature. Um, and we as communities, uh, radical communities, that radical communities need root, need ground. <laughs> They cannot sustain themselves otherwise. So, but they need to to to, to mature. And the and one of the ways that communities mature is indeed through ceremony, of course, through ritual, but through shared struggles and um, yeah, and and different perspectives. So all of that can be really enriching um, and frustrating at the same time. <laughs> But um, yeah, for me, for me, the, the, the truth about the deep value of this idea, um, the living idea of the ecosystem is a great metaphor because it's not a metaphor, it's completely real, um, about our true entanglement within all of this diversity and 
all of these ideas and things that we don't even imagine they're possible and suddenly they do emerge in groups and 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 oh that group is doing that and that community has done that so it's like um yeah shared solutions a lot of different ones um yeah thank you all right well <clears throat> i'll leave folks with a few questions <laughs> um uh, a question that was offered in in a space with biokomalafi is where can we offer hospitality and another question is how can we have difficult conversations without relationships falling apart it's from the Nassandriati of gesturing towards decolonial futures and just posting all this in the chat. And um, one more thought, Loretta Ross says, um, you know, getting along doesn't necessarily save lives. So I think that goes with that question is how can we have difficult conversations without relationships falling apart? because we need to continue to protect each other and care for each other, regardless of our differences. So inviting that for folks. And thanks everyone. Um, now, uh, Kathy says in the chat, I have found time banking really helpful for hospitality and sociocracy. Very good for difficult conversations. Thank you, Kathy, that's beautiful. All right. Are we complete, crew? <laughs> All right. We'll add any links in the chat, and I'll pass it back to George to welcome our next guest. <laughs>